All right. Well, good evening. Good afternoon, should I say. Um, good afternoon. This is Pastor G. Chris Brown with another uh, clergy conversation. And today I'm so honored, happy, excited and elated to be interviewing one of uh, God's great preachers, great pastors and one of my mentors, somebody who um, means a lot to me personally. Um, because he's allowed me to come preach for him, but he's also been just such a friend and uh, another role model, my hero, and that he's given me so much counsel and wisdom. So I'm pleased to have with me today the great pastor of the New Beginnings Baptist Church of North Richland Hills, Texas, uh, Pastor Don Rogers. Pop, thank you for coming, and just go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. God bless you, uh, Chris. I'm uh, Don Rogers from the New Beginnings Baptist Church, 6540 Inview Drive uh, in North Richland Hills. We've been there 32 years by the grace of God, sharing in our community, trying to convey the gospel of Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected. We, my motto is that I try to stand as a beacon of light in our community uh, to a dark world, proclaiming unto them that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I'm honored to be on with you this evening to share whatever I can to help your audience as we all try to navigate our way through this uh, through this world of sin, if you will. Yes, sir. So like we were just talking about, I'm going to jump into this. Talk to us just about how you've um, navigated through COVID with when we, when it comes to uh, technology, when it comes to Facebook Live and online giving. Talk to us about, you know, how how your eyes have even been open, if you will. Well, like many, like many pastors, I too was stuck in the mode. And I'll be frank with you, I thought I was quite progressive. I thought I was above, or should I say ahead of the curve as it pertains to my previous uh, generation, my father's generation who also uh, pastor 53 years right here in the city of Fort Worth. But I just thought I would leave and pop in the dust, man. I thought I was progressed and far more advanced technologically speaking, only to discover that when this pandemic hit, man, that I was in the stone age. I was scrambling. Literally, I had to close my church now for two weeks because I was not prepared cyberly. So, and I was not even educated. I, I didn't know what to do. I was just twiddling my thumbs and um, ultimately we were able to scramble and get things together, but it took me two weeks to get caught up to be able to start streaming live. My mindset was, which uh, wrongly I will admit, that if I'm streaming, they won't come. They'll just be lazy like a days ago. So that's what kind of kept a church in the prehistoric age, if you will, only to discover, man, the screaming, streaming has become a blessing to the ministry. And I find it quite peculiar and odd and strange in some way how God has to create a pandemic to usher us into the next phase of ministry. Same thing with our online giving. I was just of the mindset for whatever reason. People need to, if I did online giving, they wouldn't come to church. Well, it wasn't coming anyway. You know, those who's going to come is going to come. Those who wasn't, wasn't. And then those, when they, they do, if they're real faithful, they would hold on to their giving and bring it when they came. But then we'd lose the battle with some, especially this younger group, because they spend it and always something would come up. But anyway, um, I've come to discover that live streaming our ministry has been a blessing. And as well, online giving has been a tremendous blessing, even though we're in this the confines and the grips of a of a worldwide global pandemic. Our giving is not suffering only by the grace of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, when you were talking about what, what you've learned and how um, you've had to grow in a sense to this next phase, this this new wave, this new chapter. When it comes to um, just your viewership or when it comes to just really kind of keeping yourself encouraged, you know, what tools have you used just to keep yourself encouraged in the midst of not necessarily being able to see a lot of your church members? Well, I'll tell you what, Nothing can really prepare you for an event like this of such monu monumental proportion, this global 
uh, emergency, this global crisis, no one was really literally prepared, not, not only physically, but mentally and spiritually. It uh, definitely, it has been challenging to say the least. Uh, it's like, just like everybody kind of learn as we go. Uh, I was having, having a conversation with somebody not too long ago, brought up my father who just recently passed, went on from labor to reward. I was saying to them, man, I really don't know if my father could have made this transition because he was so steeped in tradition. Right. He would definitely defy the governor's order because he wasn't going to close his doors. I've seen him open up the church doors with snow on the ground. So he wasn't going to comply. But I thank God that I was able to be versatile. Um, I thank God that we were able to come to our senses and make this transition. It wasn't easy. It wasn't smooth. My advice to anybody else, as I, now that I've learned, I've tried to share that information with other people who's kind of on the fence. I've still got some friends of mine, pastor friends of mine, who's not streaming. They're just doing the same old, same old. But it, it has been a blessing. Um, uh, with the technology that's available to us, it helps me to get the ministry out beyond the doors. I've got another pastor friend of mine. I know you know uh, Dr. William McKinley Jackson. He refers to his as a broadcast. Yeah. And I was a little bit uh, hesitant to use that word, but technically that's what it is. We're right. broadcasting the service, we're broadcasting our message. It is literally getting beyond the walls of the church. And I know that's what God wants us to do, to not be confined within the walls. I've been pastoring 32 years, and 31 of those years, in order to hear me preaching my sanctuary, you had to come and hear me preach. Now, anybody, anywhere, I've got friends all around that can tune in and check me out whenever they get ready. If they want to, you know, they've got time to do so, not only uh, preachers, but uh, laymen's as well. So it's been a blessing, tremendous blessing. Yes, sir. Well, just talk to us a little bit about your um, background, you know, talk to us about your background, where you where you, where you were born, you know, um, when you, your conversion experience to Christ. Talk to us about your background. Okay. I was born in Port Arthur, Texas in 1962. I lived there for a few years. Uh, uh, my biological mother, my biological mother uh, died in 1965. I was two years old when she died. And uh, from there, I came up here to live in Fort Worth with my uncle, which is Ariel Rogers. Technically, he's my uncle, but he raised me and I refer to him as my father. I don't know any other parents. I've never had the privilege of knowing my mother. I was two years old. I don't remember. He was my mother's. He's my mother's brother, Ariel Rogers. And uh, he took me in, me and my two siblings and raised us as his own. And like I said, I, I, when I referred to him as parents and my mother, which was his wife and my auntie technically, uh, and I feel even bad, you know, saying that, odd saying it because I've always called them my parents, you know. But anyway, from 1965, I moved up here. He raised me, grew up there in Harvey Avenue Baptist Church in the Fort Worth system, school system. And where I got my training there at Harvey Avenue, uh, coming up through uh, that uh, ministry. I will say that my father was a hard taskmaster. He loved church. He loved ministry. Everything about him was church, uh, so much so until the bulk of his time. He, he was a better pastor than he was a parent. I'll say that much. He did what he could, and I will say that he didn't do too bad of a job raising me. I ended up landing on my feet following his lead uh, as a pastor. In 1988, the Lord called me to preach. I was 25 years old. Uh, I kind of knew God was summoning me to the pulpit, Chris. I, I didn't want to do it <laughs> because I had this, this bashfulness about me. I was kind of shy, you know, didn't uh, afraid of the, the people, you know, uh, public speaking, should I say. Yes, sir. But no longer could I ignore the call. One day my father called me and asked me to come now to the church. He wanted to talk to me. So naturally, when I, when, I, when he called me, I was at home and uh, I uh, decided, OK, I'll, I'll be down about an hour. I went down there. On my way down there, I, I, for whatever reason, I just sensed he was going to talk to me about my calling. Mm -hmm. I never mentioned it to him. 
but it was just in my spirit. Anyway, when I got to his office, sit there and he talked, we talked for about an hour. And then he's talking to me about his will and other things, church ministry and what he'd like to see me accomplish, you know, and he knows that he's getting on up in age. And, and at a certain age, you know, we all get to that point where we start looking at our own mortality. Right. As he's talking to me about technically family stuff, I'm <laughs> all the while thinking, man, I don't know why I was feeling that way. He didn't want to say, talk to me about ministry and me, uh, my, my call or nothing. You know, I'm thinking that I missed it, in other words. Right. And at the end of the conversation, he said, man, I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit asked me. The real reason why I called you here was to ask you about your calling to preach. It's been on my heart, on my mind. I don't know, but the Holy Spirit has been compelling me to ask you this. And then I told him that when he called me, that, you know, that was the first thing that came to mind for whatever reason. And anyway, that opened up the door for me confessing to him that I knew that I've been called and had been called for quite some time, but I just could not, couldn't do it. I was just, you know, as he referred to it as running, I referred to it as rebelling, I guess. Yes, <laughs> Nonetheless, I, I, from there, he helped to mentor me and help uh, to define my calling to make sure this is what God wanted me to do. Gave me a series of things, processes to go through he continued to counsel with me. And ultimately, I conceded to the fact that this is what God wanted me to do. So the first Sunday in May 1988, by the grace of God, man, I stood there in that pulpit at my father's church and preached my first sermon, went over well, had a, you know, it was a blessed evening. And I, from then, I've been walking in this ministry. Now, one year later, from first Sunday in May 1988, I was 25 years old, to the first Sunday in May, 1989, I organized our church. One year later, I procrastinated so that I had uh, had used up all of my grace period, if you will, my learning curve, my preaching abroad and doing things like that as an associate young minister coming up. Um, God called me to pastor this church, and as a matter of fact, it was my father's vision to start his ministry in the northeast Tarrant County area. So he had another preacher in mind, but uh, the guy just couldn't do it because of uh, economical reasons, knowing how much work it's going to take to put in to start a new ministry, an upstart. So at the last minute, I guess it was February of 89, knowing the ministry was going to be started in just a matter of a few, couple of two or three more months, my father told me that that pastor backed out he said, Don, look like the Lord is throwing you right in the fire, man, because I don't have any other person to take on this ministry. Look like God is calling you. I know you're young. You've only been doing this about a year. But, you you know, you the calling is there. You're going to have to take on the responsibility of leading this congregation. Well, naturally, I'm petrified. I'm terrified because, I, and at the time, I only had six or seven sermons, you know, <laughs> I told him, well, I'll do what I can. I mean, I hadn't, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but he walked me through it. We worked hand in hand there for a while. And ultimately, uh, we started the ministry, got it up and going after six years, six years of uh, of uh, start this church, you know, kind of got a good following. Harvey Avenue bought us a building out there in Hearst to, to uh, have our own place. And anyway, my father's tutelage and he tutored us and Ultimately, I'll say that at some point in uh, at that uh, in my ministry, I became my own independent person. Meaning, I wasn't trying to hear my father. I'm trying to do what the Lord called me to do, to lead this ministry in the direction. So it was a tug of war. We agreed to go our own ways, separate ways. And I do hate that because it, it developed a rift within the family because he had his ideology and I had mine. One of the hardest jobs, man, is being a pastor's son and pastoring a church. And you're working with your father in that ministry because his vision of your ministry is to be under him forever. He never has any intentions of letting you out from under the thumb. And that's when, my, uh, when I discovered that that's what my father's purpose was, though, you know, that was his reasoning. I wasn't trying to go down that road. 
So he gave me an ultimatum. I accepted the ultimatum and I went my own way. And the people that was with me in that ministry chose to follow me. And uh, that's where we that's where we are today. Uh, was, the church was six years old at the time. We had to start over. We picked up the pieces and we moved from his location, got our own location. A few other churches helped us and housed us for a couple of years until we were able to get on our feet and get our foot in. We saved up enough money. And the building there in North Richmond Hills, where you preached so eloquently, I might add, for quite a few times there, is where we bought. We, we bought that building um, once we regrouped. And now we've got a property of our own. We moved in there. It was, you know, in bad shape uh, structurally and everything. We just made repairs. and uh, It doesn't look anything like what you see when you come over there. Right. One thing that I discovered that if I'm going to be in this area, as I drive up and down Glenview Drive, I see some great cathedrals of building structures, I mean, monumental structures. And though my building is small, it can at least be nice. And we, you know, we remodel it and God bless us to, to, uh, to make a nice facility there for our people. And from there, we started meeting people uh, coming to our church saying we didn't know a black church was in this area and being the only black church in North Richland Hills. Right. You know, it's been a struggle, but it's been a blessing as well. So, Pop, I want to go back because those who don't know, um, Pastor Arl Rogers, the late Pastor Arl Rogers, pastored the Harvey Avenue Missionary Baptist Church, which he organized um, on Harvey Avenue and Forward for 53 years. But I want to ask a question because I think it's very important. I think it's um, very uh, uh, relevant. Is Talk to us about the importance of, you know, succession and having the right kind the right the right teamwork if you will at you know when it comes to joining forces whether it be father son biologically whether it be father and son just like you know ministry but just talk to us about the importance of succession and the importance of really being a strong team well i find that in order to make a strong team it has to be like-minded people i guess the number one tool and making ministry work when you're working in partnership is a clear understanding and definition of your role, each party's role. What is your role in this ministry? What is it that you expect of me? What is your vision for this ministry? And I'm talking from the perspective of a senior pastor to a younger preacher, younger pastor who's coming in to partner with him. My father told me, and, and, and this is uh, one thing that I do, I've oftentimes share. He told me uh, I'd, uh, I was working on a secular job doing ministry, of course, like most pastors, being bivocational, working uh, the ministry basically on the weekend because that's all the time I had. I had a family, wife and daughter and a mortgage and car notes just like everybody else and young family coming up. And matter of fact, I was recently married. I, I married. I was married two years before I uh, called into the ministry and, and then ultimately pastoring. So that transition happened relatively quickly. My wife didn't marry a preacher. She married a deacon in church, you know. I was, I was a deacon at the time. And she and I made the transition from that to pastor. But anyway, my father came to me and he said, Dom, that ministry is not going to be successful unless you go full time in this ministry. Right. So I pondered that for a while, he says, you don't have the time to put in it. And I mean, the, the progression is going to be slower. You're a young man, you can do this. You're just going to have to get your affairs in order. I talked to my wife about it and uh, I said, okay, give, let's give me a year. I took a year to start getting my finances in order. And May of 1991, I went full time in the ministry. May, I quit my job, walked off. I'd been there uh, 10, 12 years, uh, 12 years at the time. Quit that job, went full time in the ministry to, to devote myself totally to, to the call. And man, I'm gonna tell you, it was a struggle for five years. Five years, man, I'm struggling, but I'm working with my father. He told me that when you quit your job, you work with me, we are partner together, um, and uh, I'll pay your salary, you know, uh, we'll compensate, you're gonna be okay. <laughs> I wish I could tell you I was okay. Man, I struggled, man. 
Now I'm working, but I'm struggling. It's growing pains. Anyway, that's why I say this is important. It's important. It's imperative that you get a clear definition and understanding. Uh, We walk by faith and not by sight, but not when it comes to trusting someone else to do what they say they're going to do. You know, God will provide, and he did provide. He made a way, and I mean where there was no way. But because I wasn't clear and and my role was not properly defined and, and established, man, I struggled for quite some time. But nonetheless, we were able to make it work. My advice to any young pre- preacher who's partnering with a church, with a pastor, get the role defined. Let it be spelled out definitively, written out, a contract, if you will. Get a clear understanding. Now, we know how black church works We don't always work off of legal documents. A lot of it is by faith. I understand that. But the bottom line is that that was my hindrance because I found myself working around the clock more than I was when I was working on a secular job. My father had all kinds of things for me to do. You know, now he's traveling around the country, preaching and carrying on because he's got the freedom now. He's got a right-hand man that's taking care of the business. I'm doing the... (laughs) I'm going to the funerals, all the funerals, you know. Uh, I'm making the appearance. I'm here on behalf of Harvey Avenue, Pastor R.L. Rogers. Uh, he couldn't be here today, but I'm here. And everybody know I'm his right-hand man. I'm his son. Don is that boy, man. He's doing his thing and afforded him the leisure to do whatever he needed to do. But at any rate, at some point, it became redundant and quite taxing, to say the least. Chris, I'll say this, out of all that I've said, all that I've seen in 32 years of ministry, the best decision I ever made was going full-time in the ministry. I don't regret that not one bit. I This is my 30th year, this past May, was my 30th year being full-time, a full-time pastor. <clears throat> For the first five years, I struggled, severely struggled. But by the grace of God, after those five years was up, I mean, the heavens have opened up and I've been blessed tremendously through this ministry. I haven't had to miss anything. God has provided whatever we needed. I paid my building off. I bought that church building. We bought the church building in 97. We were able to pay it off in uh, seven years later. Um, um, yeah, I'm seven years later, we burned the note on it. And God has been providing ever since. So the sacrifice was great, but so are the rewards. And I am the benefactor of those rewards. And I say to any young preacher that's in ministry, if it's any way possible, give it your all. Now, another thing that I learned, my father told me, son, if you're going to go full time in the ministry, you can't be lollygagging around all up at the golf course, uh, you know, kicking it with your buddies, hanging out like preachers do during the day, just socializing, fraternizing, hobnobbing, you know. We'll eat up the whole day just goofing off and and seldom at your church. His thing was, don't let uh, don't let the, the the your church be run off of a voicemail because our mm-hmm. church, I couldn't afford a secretary, so I was the secretary. Somebody call your office, you, you need to answer that phone. At least have some office hours, is what he said. So when I quit my job, my I was working from eight to five. So I adopted and some hours. My office hours was from 10 to five. I made sure every day I was in an office. And what I believe was, what he told me was, if you put in the time, God is going to pay. And that's been my motto. My motto since then for 30 years, get up, go to my office, work from my office, For 30 years, I've done that. Now, when this pandemic hit uh, last year, that was the first time that I started working remotely from home because I have a home office as well. But my message to anybody that's in ministry is coming up, get a clear understanding. If you're partnering with a church, with a pastor, senior pastor, get a clear understanding of your role, understanding of the finance that's going to be involved. It's nothing wrong with negotiating money because it takes money in order for me to take care of my family. Absolutely. Get a definitive understanding and then require, and then understand. Also, it requires a great deal of sacrifice on your part. Be prepared to sacrifice. Probably you said something I think is very important because there are plenty of us, myself included, we would love to be full-time, you know, not work, 
not be bivocational, but we love to be full time. But sometimes, uh, you know, because of work or because of finances, family, and sometimes it may even be, as you say, the sacrifice of struggle, the, that fear of struggle and that fear of not being able to do this, not be able to do that. And so what 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 are some what are some keys then? As you say, you, you took a whole year to really get your get, get your money correct. So what are some keys for 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 us, if, you know, being bivocational or even full time still, but just those keys to really make sure that we're taking care of our business financially and for our family? You are absolutely right. That's an excellent question, because all of the preparation in the world cannot prepare you for sacrifice. You can prepare. I thought that that one year I'm, I'm liquidating assets. I'm paying off credit cards. I'm getting myself in a position where we could operate primarily off of my wife's salary and whatever little bit that I bring in for the course of a month, which was not much at all. Uh, so I thought I was prepared. I just bought a brand new car, figured, well, before I quit this job, I better buy me a car because my credit, you know, I'm not going to have the longevity on a job to be able to get the vehicle that we need. So we bought a vehicle. I had a mortgage. Uh, daughter was in school. Anyway, I was just uh, as much preparation as I put in. I was not fully prepared uh, for the amount of sacrifice. You can pre prepare all you want, but there will be a significant amount of sacrifice. The only thing that I can recommend anybody who's taking the plunge is faith. Faith in God. We preach faith. We teach faith. But do we live by faith? This was my message. That whole year I prayed to God because I didn't want to suffer, Chris. I didn't want to uh, lose my mortgage, my be, be put out of my house. My wife is still looking to me to be the head of this house and lead this family. She's still looking to me, you know, to make help make ends meet. And, you know, anytime, you know, nothing tears up a marriage quicker than finance or the lack thereof. So I'm worried about all of those things, but I'm praying that whole year, thinking that I got everything in order. Finally, the day came, walked off the job. That following Monday, I'm in my office, I'm out there working, I'm doing it. And uh, um, this wasn't anything, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the amount of struggle that came. But I will say this, it made me stronger. It helped me to develop a, a better prayer life. I've never prayed more in my life, man. I've never leaned on God and trusted on God. Listen, that whole year, this is the prayer that I prayed. Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then I know you're going to take care of me. And to keep me from being weak in my faith. Now, this I'm telling you, this is my prayer, the only prayer that I told God. To keep me from being weak in my faith. Lord, if you want me to, to, to be full-time, a full-time pastor, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go full-time. And if once I quit this job, Lord, I'm not going to ever work for anybody else other than you. And that was my commitment to God. To this day, I've never worked for anybody else other than God. And listen, this is what they did. Not that I didn't want to. <laughs> I mean, a many times, man, I wanted to go back out and get another job. But I knew that once I said that, not only was I totally committed to God, but God would be totally committed to me. Yes, and, but it wasn't that I was doubting God. I was really doubting me. Yes, sir. Because at some point, I felt like I might get weak and have to go back and get a job. But I knew that if I said that out loud to God, I'd have to honor it. So matter how, no matter how dark things got financially, how difficult it got, it I always reverted to the fact I told God he's going to be the only person that I ever worked for for the rest of my life. That's what kept me from going back to that old job, getting another job or picking up a side hustle. You know what I'm saying? To try to help ends meet, you know. That prevented me because I told God, I won't even work for anybody else, not even myself. I'm only going to work for him. It obligated him to take care of me. Basically, if faith is real, I'm putting it to the test. And that's what kept me focused and staying the course during the difficult days. Once I made that five year period of transition, now see some other guys, some guys rode is a whole lot easier. They walk into well-to-do churches that's able to take care of them. They have everything they need. That wasn't my road. 
I struggled all the way. But after that five years, man, I can tell you, being on the other side of that snow, after my faith had been tested, put to the test, and I mean repeatedly, I have not missed anything, man. My goodness. It's better today than I've ever lived in my entire life. My goodness. And that's for the past 25 years. That first five, <laughs> man, it was rough. Past 25, 27 years, because it's 32 years in. Man, it's been nothing but up. And uh, God is the only person that I've worked for. I punched the clock. Guys would tell me, man, I'd be in my office, you know, you know, they tell me, man, I called you work. What's up? You know, where'd you call me at, man? You call me at home. What you calling me at home for? I'm at work. And that's the way I refer to it. Get up every day, go to my office, be in there from 10 to 5. No matter what I had to do, I disciplined myself to keep office hours. If you're looking for Don Rogers, everybody knows. Call me in my office because that's where I'm going to be. Up until the pandemic, of course. Right. Wow. That you just really just encouraged me in more ways than, you know, uh, just by that story. Um, that was very, very, very needed, very necessary and very encouraging. So as you start uh, preaching, <laughs> then you start pastoring. Who were some of those preachers that you looked up to that helped you develop as a preacher? Number one, it was my father, you know, uh, you know, very early on, he and I had an excellent relationship. I hate that the business part came in between us because I'm trying to be my own man. I'm 32 years old by then. I started at 25, started pastoring at 26, worked with my father until I'm 32. You know, uh, that's when after about five, six years, that's when the problem started happening because we were looking to go. He, was, he had a vision and I had my own vision. But um, up until that point, number one, he was my mentor. He taught me a great deal during those six years that we were together, walking hand in hand, working a lot about the sacrifices in ministry and then also the rewards. He opened the door for a lot of opportunities, kept me busy. He knew I'm full time. So I need preaching engagements and revivals and things like that. He helped to facilitate things like that. So I have to give him uh, credit for a great deal of that. Uh, he opened a lot of those opportunities because of his reputation and who he was. But then also other pastors and God, let me share this quick story with you. I was in the middle of my struggle with my father. He and I wasn't on the best of terms, uh, ideology, ideologically speaking, and then ministry speaking. It was, you know, just difficult time. And uh, my church was young. We were on our own, struggling, trying to make it, trying to make ends meet. I was in my office one day and I got a phone call. Keep in mind, I'm at work. I got a phone call from Dr. Michael Bale, the Great St. Stephen First Church in Fort Worth. Out of the blue. I don't know. I know Pastor Bale, Dr. Bale, but I didn't know him personally. I mean, I know him. You know, he know I'm Ariel Rogers' son. <laughs> you know. Uh, but before us, I couldn't, th I don't think I've ever had a personal conversation with him. He called me one day and he told me, he said, Don, I heard of your struggle, man. What's going on with you and your church? And I want to help. How can I help? He says, what I'm doing is I'm having a benefit program at my church for, uh, you and pastor Howard Caver, the late pastor Howard Caver, who were a missionary baptister. Right. He said, Lord, lay y'all on my heart. I just want to do something to help you. Well, naturally, I um, got my guards up because I'd already been hurting and scarred. I'm kind of on guard. What is Bill want? He must want something from me, man. He's trying to set me up. I'm, I was in that mindset. Uh, he wants something, you know. Uh, people don't just help you uh, without obligating, you being obligated to them. So I was kind of in that mode. So he told me the date of the program. He said, if you can make it, we'd love to have you. If you can't, then we'll just send it to you in the mail. I didn't go to the program, Chris, because I thought he was a setup. I thought my father had put him up to something. It's, it's something going on here. I didn't even go to the program, man. Two weeks later, man, after the program, I received the check in the mail from that church, which is a tremendous blessing to help my ministry alone. And you're talking about right on, he's an old time God. Yes, he is. That came right on time because we were struggling, trying to make it. This is during my five year struggle period, you know. 
And he sent that check over. I've never had a conversation with Dr. Bell since. He did not obligate me to anything, did not ask for anything. He sent that over. It was a blessing to me and it opened my eyes. God will make a way where there is no way. He will use some of the most, most unlikeliest of people to come to your aid. It was in fact my uh, Elijah moment uh, by the brook and go down and meet the widow woman and she's going to, I've already prepared her to take care of you, to provide for you. It was that moment in my ministry, the transition of how God will send help, even when I'm at my lowest moment. So much so that I, I was of the mindset, it's a trick here. They're trying to set me up for something, you know, they trying to obligate me. Received that check, it was a blessing to us, and I did send him a note thanking him for it and everything. I don't think, I really don't, literally, I don't think I've had a conversation with Dr. Bell personally since. I've seen him, certainly admire his ministry uh, and the work that he's doing here and his activacy as well as his, his uh, pastorate. Uh, admire him for who he is and the kind of minister that he is. But uh, I, I let him know in, in meager words, I, I guess I didn't really do enough to let him know how much he helped, but it was a blessing. And I said that to say that no pastor is on an island by himself, that when you sacrifice, God will provide. I know the initial shock is difficult to get started, to step out on faith, but it's in anything else when faith is required, when we have to step out on faith, step out of our comfort zone. It's difficult to say the least, but God, if God called you to do this, he's going to provide. And one other thing, I keep referring to my father, he's been my greatest mentor. But he told me this, he said, man, if God is with you, he'll be with you in a shack. In other words, it doesn't matter what the struggle is. You're not in that struggle alone. God is by your side. So we've been able to prevail. As far as other mentors, Dr. Michael Bale, another mentor is uh, Dr. the late Dr. James Simmons. I tried, to, I, I tried to pattern my preaching after Dr. Simmons. You know, we all have a style. Right. You know? And as many times as Dr. Simmons had came to our church and preached many, I'm just a young man and I wasn't even a preacher, but I'm just admiring this man's ability to, to be a conveyor of the gospel. And when the Lord called me to preach, I knew immediately, man, if I could do it like this, man, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> and so that's kind of been my mentor as far as my style of preaching. But, but throughout the years, God has always had sent somebody to help tutor me, to mentor me, to help me navigate through these murky waters of ministry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, well, then give us, from your experience, help us young pastors, young preachers on preaching through struggles. You know, I've always, I did, I discovered um, a, a pattern in my life that I preach better in the struggle and I share with other preachers and especially young preachers, no matter what's going through, preach your way through. Uh, no matter what, how difficult it gets, a uh, loved one dies that's near and dear. You know, it, the easy thing is, man, I need to take off some time. I don't, I never do that, man. No matter how difficult it is. And my, my brother died, uh, my brother died um, uh, 10 years or better ago. It was a difficult time for me. But instead of me taking off because I'm grieving, I preach my way through that difficulty, through that pain. And that's the message that I try to, to convey as often as I can to those of us who are in ministry. And not only the preaching, but even to laymen. The wrong time to take off from the church and from ministry is when you're struggling, when you're going through, when you're laboring with something, when life gets heavy, when life becomes difficult, when finances are there, aren't there. Don't take off because that's the devil too to create distance between you and God. Sometimes, Chris, you're going to have to preach your way through some storms. And it's better because God speaks to us, as you know. He speaks to us, you know, the word of God is the two-edged sword. He speaks to us as we're ministering to others. And if you off, if you've taken off because of grief, because of whatever the case is, then you're limiting yourself 
from getting the answer that you are seeking. If anything else, preach your way through the storm. Make it your business to be on the job, to try not to take off. Now, I take off, my motto, take off when things are good. <laughs> take off when, you know, everything's working well, not because I've got a struggle, I've got a problem, you know, no matter what it is. And we're only human. You know, we go through some things. Sometimes marriages don't always work out. Sometimes we have financial problems. And the last thing we want to do is mount the pulpit because we don't feel it. You know, the last thing on my mind is preaching. But the reality is, is that when I feel that way, I make it my business to get in that pulpit anyway and ask the question, is there no word from the Lord? Not only for the saints, but for me, because I need it more than any. So yeah, don't take off, man. Get in the pulpit, preach your way through the storm. And so when you're talking about preaching, um, like I said, New Beginnings is a great church to preach at. Uh, I've been fortunate to preach there. Um, just talk to us then about, you know, how you, how do you, how you approach preaching, you know, your, your study habits. How do you uh, just, you know, how do you approach preaching for, for Sunday? Usually this is my week. My week begins with me being off on Monday. And I mean, barring Sunday being the beginning of the week, but uh, we'll culminate to that. My week begins me being off on Monday. Tuesday, I've started my preparation for Wednesday. Okay. So I'm doing my Wednesday night lesson. Tuesday, today, I start looking at what I'm going to deal with on Wednesday. Just kind of get uh, the outline, get it, get the direction where I'm going, what I'm dealing with. Usually I do series on Wednesdays. So I kind of know where I'm going, but I start my research work. Wednesdays, I put it together, make sure that I'm ready. So when I go live, I'm on, I'm ready. Thursday, uh, I pick up and start getting ready for Sunday. I don't do physical, I mean, literal uh, studying. Sometimes I do, I start researching and looking at different things if I know where I'm headed. But Thursdays, is, I'm, I've got my mind, it's on my mind. I'm, I'm laboring with it. Uh, I'm dealing with it. I'm concentrating on where I'm trying to go, what I'm trying to do. I'm praying, Lord, what is it you have me to share with your people? That's my message. Friday, I start kind of putting things together more, a little bit more tangibly, doing a little more research. Uh, I try to make sure that I spend some time on Friday, a couple of hours or so, studying and concentrating on where I'm trying to go. Saturday, I try not to go anywhere. And anybody knows me knows that I try not to do anything on Saturdays. Totally concentrated on the word because that's what it takes for me to do what I do and to try to be as thorough as I try to be. Uh, it takes that concentration. Now, I'm not just totally in the book all day on Saturday in the laboratory, <laughs> concentrating, you know, uh, uh, trying to get it, but off and on, I'm working on it, I'm pondering, I'm studying, I'm researching. Might take an hour or two break, whatever the case is. And, but then, you know, basically I refer to it as being in labor. Yes, sir. And then on Sunday, we deliver the word. I'm ready, usually. Uh, I try to have everything wrapped up and culminated uh, by Saturday night, by 10 o'clock, that's my goal. And from there, I'm starting to make preparation for the next day, Sunday, we deliver the word. That's been my process, man, for years and it's worked for me my thing is is this man i try to be as thorough and clear as i can i had a young lady in my church one time i was a young preacher back in 1996 97 hadn't been preaching too long but church was young i'm preaching she came to me out to church and i preached a passage about the uh the man in the two i mean in the graveyard cutting himself <laughs> And I don't know what he was, man, but I was off. I was so far off. I, I, you know, I thought I had it. You know, I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there. And that message didn't go over well. I could, <laughs> I could feel it. You, you know, fuck yeah. feel, man. And the girl came up to me at the church, man. Been in my church at the time, quite a few years, two, three years, four or five, something like that. She had a Bible open when she was coming up to me. I'm standing out front shaking hands. She said, Pastor, I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> What are you trying to say? What, what was what was it about? 
again, I started trying to re-preach it and, you know, reconvince it of my of my argument, only to discover then, man, I wasn't prepared. I botched it. Mm-hmm. I, I knew all of the due diligence that I should have and could have. I started walking my week back, realizing that I loafed more than I should have. It was then that I developed this system in which I'm on now to spend this amount of time that I'm going to dedicate to Wednesday night to make sure that I'm thorough, uh, to spend this amount of time that I'm going to dedicate for Sunday to make sure that I'm thorough, that I know what I'm talking about. I'm convinced of what I'm, where I'm trying to go out. I, I want to know the target that I'm trying to leave. What's the message that I want to leave with the people? And once I de- 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 define that, I build a sermon around that. That's what works for me. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, and also talk to us about, you know, talk to us about building and building the library as we talk about preaching, as we talk about um, reading, as we talk about studying. What are what are keys that you've learned over the years about building an effective library? Most of it, most of my library comes from um, people that I know, friends of mine, uh, oftentimes asking, what are you reading now, man? Basically trying to find out what's new, what's available, what's out there. I've never been one to just go to the bookstore, just looking, walking through there. When I was younger, I'd go and buy those preaching books. You know, that's what my father taught me to do, those prefab sermons. And it got me through for during the, those adolescent years. Same thing with my Wednesday night Bible class. Uh, you know, by that kind of material. Now, as I've gotten older, I'd ask different preachers who I know is well read. Uh, I'm, I'm not one to initiate or to recommend, but I am one to ask. And people that I know that are well read, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I don't hesitate to ask them, what are you reading? You know, what's new, man? You know, and um, they'll share with me and naturally I'll go get and read it myself and build my library that way. Um, I'll be frank with you now. Most of my work is online. I I seldom buy a hard copy. Uh, Of course, I bought, I think, one or two of your books from back, you know, when you you, you were down. Thank you. (laughs) A couple of them. And uh, but most of my research now I've developed uh, uh, is online. I've learned how to navigate my way online, looking up any particular subject, any particular topic, or even author for that matter. You know, if I have heard something or uh, something that uh, that you know refers to someone else's book, I'll look it up. And you know, if it's interesting enough to me, I'll go buy the book and read the whole thing. But other than that, uh, like I said, I, where I am now in ministry, pretty much. Um, every now and then, maybe once or twice a year, I'll buy something new, uh, added to it. I'm kind of running out of space, you know, right. so I'll be limited and selective. And then some things I have in the past gotten into, started reading and lose the interest in it and never really see, you know, what's the meaning of this. It's like watching a movie that you don't think's going nowhere, you know, mm. and sometimes books can be that way. And of course it upsets me because now I've invested money in it. Right. It's just only on my shelf, and it ain't like it's such a jewel that I could recommend or even give to anybody else, you know. Right. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand because I have, like, I have, like, stacks of paperback books that I've bought. But, you know, also sometimes because with technology now, it's right here. I can, I can read 10 books from my phone easier than... I like I like to feel pages turning, but sometimes I like to just swipe because for me, sometimes I'm more of a visual learner. So screens and things like that help me process um, information better. Mm-hmm. And so but like I said, I definitely still love to read. Um, I love, you know, for me, because I've always kind of been a lonely person, an introverted person. I've always kind of been one by myself. So reading has always been something that's been very important to me and it's taken even more strides, you know, throughout deep throughout these last, like, I would say six, five years to really just get to that place of just reading, reading, reading. Cause for me, it's, you know, one of our legendary pastors in Oklahoma city, uh, Reverend Dr. J. Reed Jr. Um, says, you know, make friends with books 
because they never leave nor forsake you. And he was right. And I these last years, they <laughs> books have been literally my best friends and my companions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, that's just and that's just being honest. You know, even yeah. now, you know, just a book, a book just it's a it's a it's a different type of relationship for me. That's why this background is all books, because that's just my safe that's <laughs> books are my safety net. So yeah. no, I definitely appreciate you with that. And so, you know, you've been in yeah. New Beginnings basically since 1989. Um, like I said, going on 13 years, I've had the privilege of preaching for you. And I and I and you've always been an encouragement from the standpoint because when I was in your, when I've been in your office, you've talked to me, you showed me things, and I'm like, wow, you know, because it's so important and so imperative. And so there may be somebody who, like you know, what you know where I am, what we talked about, and there may be even others who, you know, been called by God to come to this 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 church. They may be in a rural area. They may be taken over for somebody who was well known. Or the Lord is maybe putting on them to church plant. And they and they may hit and they may hit that wall of church plant, you know. So what are, what are, from your experience, what are some helpful nuggets for those who may feel like, you know, Feel like the church planner. Feel like they're 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 pastoring in a tough in a tough city or a tough environment. What are some helpful nuggets from your experience that you can help uh, some pastors? Well, let me say this: is that I don't wish organizing on anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't wish it. I'd like a young pastor like yourself to be able to walk into a situation like you were able to do. The hardest job in the world is planning a church because it requires all of the assets that you have, all of the energy, the efforts that you have, literally from building skills, mowing lawns, whatever the church needs, you are it, I'm the first janitor, the first lawn man, the preacher, the pastor, the painter, the whatever. Uh, it, it's, it, it requires a great deal. And I, I wouldn't, want, wouldn't want my son, and I have a son, but if I had one, and going into ministry to take on that responsibility because I know the challenges that it, that it requires. It's not impossible, but it is a great deal of work. I would want you to have it a lot easier than I had it. The only thing that I can impart upon you, first of all, know that the Lord called you. Secondarily, be in a position to Give it all that you have, whatever you've got to do. If you, if you put in part-time work, you're going to get part-time pay. I know that to be a fact. It requires a great deal of sacrifice. And another thing that a lot of young pastors don't know that in organizing, in ministry, you've got to have a good credit rating. No mm. bills. Because wow. the church in its infancy is only going to be operated off of how good your financial stability is. Say that again, because we need to hear about that, about credit rating. Talk, Go deeper in that. Have a good credit rating because these banks are not trying to loan money to a black church, a small congregation. They're loaning, they want a social security number. My EIN number is not good enough for them. New Beginnings Baptist Church is a nonprofit, a 501c3 incorporated company. It stands on its own. But even when I walk into a, a lending institution, Wells Fargo, to try to borrow money for my ministry to pave my parking lot or to buy a church van or to remodel my fellowship hall, they want me to put down my social security number. Mm. And then when I was younger, that's all I had to do. I, I had to do it because I needed the van. I needed the, 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 the work done. So I had to co-sign for the church. If I didn't have good credit, the church would struggle. Wow. And a lot of young pastors don't know that, man. Wow. I, as I said here today, I've got an excellent credit rating. And it's mainly and primarily not because I'm so smart, but because I understood that if I failed, my church is going because it's standing on my financial stability. Those banks are not going to loan me, the, my young ministry, the money. 
is going to loan me the money if I'm able to stand by it. And not only that, they'll even ask you for a few deacons, social security numbers. So the only reason that my church, I was able to pay it off in seven years. The only reason that we've been financially sound is because the leader is financially sound. And I knew that I could not, I could not afford to uh, fumble the ball as it pertains to credit score. Because what if the church needed something and I'm not able to co-sign for them? Now, this is what I did, Chris. I wanted to buy a church van. So I called Wells Fargo, who we bank with, and I told them this, you know, hey, I want to buy this van. It's going to cost us $25,000. First thing they said, well, okay, uh, Pastor, we'll need you. Here's the application. We need Social Security number. I said, no, I'm not going to give you my Social Security number this time. They finance other projects for us. I'm not going to do it. This church is a cooperation. I don't own the church. I'm an employee. I get a W-2 form at the end of the year because I'm an employee. If I quit this job, the next pastor coming in, I don't want that van to be in my name, in my own my credit, because I might take another church somewhere. I'm an employee. I can quit the job. So after I'm spelling it out to them, they protested, well, we're sorry, but we just can't do it. We've got to have your social security number. We can't do it. Is there anybody else in the church that can co-sign? I said, no, I'm not going to allow my deacons to co-sign for the, for the church. What if they leave the church? And then this will be on their credit. I fought with Wells Fargo for about two or three months on that. Finally, I was able to break through. I held the feet to the fire and they conceded and went on and financed that van for me. And wow. because that I forced him to. That's like I told him that Pastor First Baptist Church don't have that in no church van in his name. Y'all know this. All of these churches up and down Glenview, and neither one of them pastors. Number one, they're not the organizer of that church. They was called there. When they leave there and get another opportunity, they're gonna leave there and go to Gary, Indiana, somewhere. And that church is he's not gonna leave there with nothing in his name. I don't want to. Why are you making me finance it? I held them to it. They finally conceded. Now I have another lending institution. So my point is, I said all of that to say this. If you're going to start ministry, know that the labor is going to be difficult and arduous to say the least. But one of the things that helped me get to where we are is my Don in Bradstreet. You know what that is? <laughs> credit rating as a business. Your Don in Bradstreet is your credit rating as a business. The only thing that helped me get to where I am is my credit rating, because I know that the church is going to need my strength. Like, for instance, the church credit cards. Bank, uh, Chase Bank wouldn't give me a credit card in my church's name alone. I had to have my name on there because they want to hold some individual responsible. But they don't do that at First Baptist. First Baptist had a whole litany of credit cards that that church can use in order for projects and many things to do. It's not in the pastor's name. So if the church is going to be successful, the number one thing is make sure that you're able to carry the responsibility financially, keep a good credit rating, because it helps to open up the door to opportunities and helps to move your ministry forward, opposed to being stagnant and stuck. You know, in other words, if I couldn't buy that van, we'd have to keep picking up people, bringing them to church. Can you go by and pick up Sister So-and-so? So, you know, but the van, church van helped us. We needed it to grow to another level. Right. And I understood that. But the only way we was able to get it is because I was able to maintain a good credit score. And there are a whole lot of other things that it pertains to being young that you need to know. But I think that that's been the most, one of the most successful things in my ministry has helped me a great deal. And I don't mind sitting on here with the, on this broadcast with you tonight bragging about it because, you know, we labored hard to get to the point where we could get whatever we want, borrow whatever amount of money that we want because we pay our bills on time. Wow. I think, but I think that's, I think that's very important because I think you hit on something a lot of us may not have known about when you talk about credit rating, when you talk about, um, being financially st stable i think that's very important when, and then how you brought up and say because yeah you can go down glenview and see there are all around north Richland hills there are beautiful major churches that are yeah. african-american yeah. they're all down that street all yeah. down that north Hills, Hearst, 
Bedford, Euless, they're everywhere. <laughs> and all of them are large. All, every last one of them. So for you to do that and stand up to Wells Fargo in that regard, because Wells Fargo hadn't always been kind to black people. And no. it still ain't kind to black people. Exactly right. <laughs> so for you to do that, I think that's very important. I think that's also something that we need to really understand talking about our credit rating and about the importance of having good credit. So I thank you for that. So, but Pop, is there anything else that's on your heart you want to share, whether it's pertains to preaching, uh, what, 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 you, what encourages you, what discourages you about preaching now, uh, family, anything else you want to just share with us? Well, I will say this as it pertains to ministry. I'll be the first to admit, uh, Pastor, that I'm in a, in, in a genre, an era that um, is foreign to me this cyber sanctuary. Uh, I'm making the transition like everybody else has to do. Uh, it's been so far so good. Um, I just want to try to encourage other pastors who's in this struggle, trying to make the transition. I guess uh, for younger pastors, you know, you're just starting off, uh, you're more technologically savvy than somebody that's been doing it 32 years. All of this is new. I try to stay up uh, and well-versed on technology. Uh, I'm not as techni technically inclined as others, but uh, in other words, after doing this 30 years and then all of a sudden have to try to do it a different way, it's challenging to say the least, man. And I just want to encourage other pastors, man, listen, it's a struggle, but we can do it. And I'm making the transition. I'm changing with, you know, with the, with the uh, technology and it's works beginning to work out well for us. We're just going to keep on grinding and keep on preaching. And like I said, uh, it's a struggle, but we're making it. So be encouraged, man. And as for you being a young pastor and any other young pastors that's coming through, I just tried to share a few things with you to kind of and give you some insight and foresight as to what uh, can happen in ministry. But like I told you about when you're going through, preach your way through. Don't take off uh, as it pertains to your uh, credit score. Uh, these are some challenges that we had to face in our ministry. And right today, I'm debt free. I can say that, man. Good management, debt free. My, my building's paid off. I don't owe anybody. Um, we're good, solid foundation, good, solid foundation. Uh, uh, the succession plan. Every pastor needs to have a succession plan to be able to know that at some point you got to pass a baton. I'm 58 years old, Chris. It's on my mind. I don't plan. My father was 80 years old, still pastoring his church. He was sickly. I went over to his church one time, and he was. He told me, he said, Don, it's a bad thing to want to retire and can't. Mm. He, he doesn't have a succession plan to be able to pass the baton. I don't plan to be 80 years old in the pulpit uh, pastoring. I don't know what God asked for me. And like I told you, only God can say never. I don't know. But Don Rogers player, I don't plan to be. I'm looking, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the age now that I'm starting to think about a succession plan. Who's the next fellow going to come up behind me? What can I do to help him? I, I like what Pastor Johnny Cassavera of the Golden Gate Church of God of Christ did. He retired from his church, passed the baton. He stayed there one year with that pastor. And he said, after the one year, I'm gone. Because if I stay here, the members that was with me while I'm here is going to be coming to me instead of that next pastor. Mm. It's his succession plan. So I'm looking for a succession plan to be able to pass baton. I keep preaching and keep doing and ministering, but I'm looking for a jumping off point. And I guess I said that to say that everybody needs a plan. So start looking into that if you know if you've been pastoring me a while. Start looking at passing the baton, man. You know, and a lot of these old pastors believed in dying out the pulpit. I ain't gonna never retire. I ain't gonna, you know. But that's not Don Rogers. Yes, sir. Well, I well, Pop, I appreciate you. Also, um, very quickly, tell tell the people about your church and uh, where they can go. You know, social media, the location. Tell people about your church before we close. Yeah, you can look us up: New Beginnings Baptist Church, NRH. New Beginnings Baptist Church, NRH. Uh, look us up on uh, um, uh, Facebook Live. We stream every Sunday Facebook Live on our church uh, um, Facebook page, as well as we uh, do Zoom. If you like the link, you can uh, 
uh, hit me up for the link, call my office. We'll be glad to get you the link uh, for our Zoom. Uh, that's on Wednesdays and as well as on Sunday mornings. We're located, again, 6540 Glenview Drive, North Richland Hills, Texas, 76180. We'd love to have you to tune in, check us out, come by. We're live. We're, our, our doors are open. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, well, thank y'all for listening. And Pop, thank you again for uh, hanging out with me for a few minutes just to chat with me. I want you to stay on just for a minute before we uh, get off, but I'm going to end the live. But thank you so much. Listen, um, once again, you can um, visit Pop, Pastor Don Rogers in the North, in North Richland Hills at New Beginnings Baptist Church. Great church great man of God, great pastor. So we pray that you've been blessed today. Please like, share, and comment on this video. And let's continue to just uh, encourage each other in this race or in this and in this struggle as possible. We thank y'all so much. God bless you. We'll be looking forward to seeing you next time. So I'm going to end this.